Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss X-Men number 96, the December 1975 issue titled Night of the Demon. Everybody to remember the date 1975 because I'm going to bring it back at the end. So we got a cover with a big ugly demon on the front, and it says on the cover, "It's the night of the demon, folks." It's very excited there, and there is a, a quite the demon on the cover of this comic book. But if the X Men can't defeat it, it may be the last stand of the world, and they're all. They're all not really, they're all kind of ineffectively attacking. Um, Wolverine just seems to be thrusting his fist at it, like, ah, I'm going to get you, and Nightcrawler is posing. Colossus is doing some sort of crazy double punch. Looks like Colossus has his fist either through it or he missed it, or it's inside of its heart. He's about to rip his heart out. <laughs> this is the weakest Cyclops beam I've ever seen. It's tiny. It's like what he uses to open the door. Yeah, and the professor is really not doing much of anything but just sitting there. <laughs> He's like, zounds! <laughs> <laughs> and Storm is kind of has a, a pretty measly zap. As far as covers go, this one's kind of weak. I uh, would, would tend to agree. Do you have the yellow background? Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty lame yellow background. Yeah. There's like a crack on the side. Yeah. Yeah, altogether, nothing really here to report on this cover uh, other than its lameness, so... Let's open her up and, uh, well, let's talk about our creative team. We've got Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum, you know, doing the authoring and the arting. Uh, Sam Granger is inking. Dave Hunt is lettering. Phil Rachelson is coloring. And Marv Wolfman is editing. And then we get a little side note with welcome plotting assist from a boisterous Bill Mantlo. Did you do any sort of lookup as to why that is? No, I did not. I was assuming that it was because Chris Claremont was still a little green. Yeah, no, I, I mean, this, I guess, is his first uh, solo attempt since the last two issues were uh, plotted by Len Wein. So I'm wondering if he wrote the script for this and, you know, maybe gave it to Marv Wolfman and Marv's like, ooh, Chris, eh, he, got some, <laughs> he got some pacing issues here. Why don't you talk to uh, Bill Mantlo over here? We'll talk about the pacing and, and how the comic book goes throughout the episode, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just what it was. It's just... Or maybe Chris was in like a sweat and he's just like, oh my God, I got to get this script out, but I don't know what to do on page 10. I better call up my buddy Bill Mantlow. <laughs> He'll know what to do. Could be. So anyways, uh, Cyclops is walking through the valley of the night of the demon or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't know where Cyclops is, but... Um, what we're hearing or what we're seeing is uh, he's mourning the loss of Thunderbird and he's I think he's blaming himself. Right. He's shocked because all his time as an X-Man, no one has ever died except for the professor. Yeah. No one under his command has ever died. Good point. Uh, yeah. And so um, this actually this whole first few pages actually uh lends uh credibility to what you were saying a while back in the podcast about chris claremont's early work being needlessly wordy because <laughs> there is a lot of dialogue 
Autumn's come early this year. The September apples hanging heavy in the orchards. The trees on both sides of the Hudson River are ablaze with a thousand myriad fires. A thousand myriad shades of death. You know him well, don't you, Cyclops? This Dark One, this great destroyer. You and your fellow X-Men have walked with him. All your young lives flaunted him, taunted him, tilted with him. And you've always gotten away unscathed until now. Until Thunderbird. And it's actually not much, so much dialogue in the beginning. It's mostly just uh, narration recapping the events that happened in the last couple of issues. It's actually word for word uh, with with narration taken from the previous issue. Which is fine, I guess. Um, There's some other Chris Claremontisms that are coming up that I'm going to jump all over when we get there. But I can't wait. <laughs> so if we go to, the, I think, the third page here, uh, this doesn't happen too much, but it's worth pointing out is that uh, the narration and Cyclops talking, uh, it's like a call and response type thing. <laughs> it's almost like these are Cyclops' thoughts even though they're directed at him. And try as you might, you can't balance those scales in your heart, your mind, or your heart. Can you, Cyclops? No. Can you? No. Can you? I said no, damn it! <laughs> and then he shoots the trees, and he's shooting all over the place. He's never cut loose like this before. He doesn't even care. He's got no restraint. And he shoots a... a, a what is that? A tower? I don't know what it is. It's something in the X-Men's backyard as he screams, No! <laughs> Zaru, the, the sound makes. Zrao. Yeah, his his blast when he hits trees makes a zram noise, but when he hits this tower thing in the background, he makes a zrao noise. Whatever happened, Z Z R R A A U U zrao. But whatever happened to zit? <laughs> well, this is you know zits are zits are nothing. This is like his light use of his power. This oh. is this is cutting loose. So whatever this thing is, we'll learn later that's a cairn, but uh, Cyclops blows it up, and uh, he's, he, he continues to blow up trees and everything else that's around him. And then he regains his composure, and he's like, oh my god, I could have killed somebody. My eyes! My deadly eyes! <laughs> essentially. What uh, have I done? So he talks a lot about, you know, oh, if, yeah, I wanted the leadership and maybe I'm not good for it and now I've got to pay the price and blah, blah, blah. As he turns his back on the shattered cairn, uh, green smoke emits from it. Oh, it's pink in the omnibus. Oh, really? I'm, I'm yeah. reading the Marvel Masterworks. So actually there's a couple of coloring differences uh, that we'll talk about. I don't think in this issue, but in the next issue. Hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's green smoke here. Well, here it's pink smoke. We'll have to dig up an original copy and figure it out. <laughs> I've got the scan somewhere. Not that it matters. <laughs> uh, I, I actually like this scene because Cyclops does kind of come to a conclusion. He kind of says to himself, well, you know, as bad as I feel, as ridiculous as I'm being, this is the game we play and this is the life we lead and everybody knows the risks. 
I can't blame myself. I can't, I can't keep doing this. Sure. He knew the risks. He signed up for it, that sort of stuff. And, and so the conclusion is basically rest in peace. So when I first read this issue, I kind of thought, and it's a little misleading because as he's walking through the woods in the very first panel, you get what looks like, well, a ghostly image of um, Thunderbird, which I thought was like kind of a rocky or like a, like a monument, like not a real monument, but like a mental monument of Thunderbird. That was actually this cairn that he shoots. I could see why you would make that mistake. Um, <laughs> but the two are completely unrelated. Yeah, they are completely unrelated. I don't, th- I, honestly, I think, I, I think this rock, I, I wish they hadn't drawn Thunderbird on the rock. It's stupid looking. It is kind of dumb looking. Like it should have been just maybe a, uh, uh, a cloudy image of him, like above Cyclops's head, maybe fading into the backdrop. And they could have got a nicer image of Thunderbird. I mean, he looks like he's pooping or something. <laughs> I don't know. This is terrible. I've got horrible <laughs> constipation, Cyclops. <laughs> and it's all your fault. <laughs> well, anyways, back at the mansion. Oh, here's another thing that I don't like. Uh, and I saw it a little bit last issue, and I didn't really talk about it much but in the narration panels we see a lot of cut to and cut now yeah yeah it's just unnecessary obviously we know based on the narration and based on the scene change that we have cut to a different scene before we jump ahead though i want to point out that if you look at cyclops in the last three panels that he's in Mm -hmm. and say you animated that yeah. He would be doing like a little, like uh, a little, like uh, Saturday Night Fever jaunt. There, he's all like, "What I want to do? But you know what I want to do? Let's. Strut." We should totally do that. <laughs> His arms swing to the left and to the right. And the last one, he's got a little butt shake, and his arms are off to the side. He's he's doing the whole Saturday Night Fever thing. I'm going to see if I can make an animated GIF of this thing, because you're right. I don't think there's enough panels for it. Well, what you would would do is you would go forward and then backward, and forward and then backward, and forward and then backward. (laughs) And I think it would be very funny, because you're right. Uh, he, he, he looks like he's somberly walking away in the first panel, gets a s- jump in his step in the second, and he's just into the music in his head in the third. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's that classic scene where John Travolta's walking down the street and he's all cool and funky. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, anyways, um, it is fun and games X-Men style in what I have to imagine is the danger room. It better be. <laughs> It is a machinery room. It's inside the mansion, and the X-Men are uh, training. And I think you talk a lot about how you liked this aspect of the X-Men, and I think the old-style X-Men was always them fighting, like, Colosso or giant balls or fire hoops. But the new X-Men are generally, like, playing a game with one another like tag or catch the ball or, you know, something like that. And then they have to use their powers or maybe not use their powers depending on the challenge, which makes the whole thing a lot more fun. Yes, I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a change of pace, and, and I, I like it. Uh, I'm not really sure what the game here is, though, but it, it's mostly just whacking Wolverine back and forth. Yeah, apparently the game is Attack Wolverine. So Colossus hits him, and, and Colossus is all like, no, you didn't hurt me. 
baby. The Wolverine just loves to get mad. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. First, I want to point out that we get our first snicked here. But it's spelled and, wrong. Uh, and it's misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a C-K-T in it. Do you think Chris Claremont got to write Snick? Does he write the sound effects? Oh, that's a great question. If I was if I was interviewing Chris Claremont, that would be the first thing I would ask. Who yeah. created Snicked? Who invented? It would have to be Chris Claremont. I mean, Len Wein never made him go Snicked in in the other comics. Well, right, but maybe it's like a sound effect. Maybe it's the letterer. Maybe oh. maybe it's Dave Cockrum. Who knows? Maybe it's the editor who's like, yeah, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like Zrow, and that sounds like <laughs> Snicked. <laughs> Well, anyways, that's a man, Chris Claremont. If you're listening, please write in. <laughs> and uh, I also have to take to task uh, your your Wolverine voice. I think we've been doing it wrong because, as as I pointed out, when Wolverine was first introduced, uh, Lynn Ween created him as a 19 year old kid. So I think until we know better, until we see and see underneath the costume, Wolverine has to sound like this. No, you only made me mad. And baby, the Wolverine just loves to get mad. <laughs> I think you need a little bit more crack in his voice. I'll work on it. Wolverine just loves to get mad. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. One of us will get it. But yeah, yeah, you're right. He's supposed to be 19 here. Well, anyways, after he uh, he talks about how he likes to get mad, um, Storm blows him away with her powers. And then Nightcrawler starts laughing. <laughs> it's a great panel of Nightcrawler. Just who who laughs like that? <laughs> he, he's laughing. He doesn't look like the Joker, but if the Joker were laughing on a panel, this is what it would look like. Totally. Because there's oh, the ha 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 ha's are coming all around him. Uh, and it's, you know, while his face is not maniacal, the laughter is kind of drawn maniacally. Yes, and it's definitely a, a, a laughing pose. He is he is a, he has a full body laugh going on here, which would make me mad too, to be honest. It's a belly laugh. He, oh yeah, <laughs> it's a knee slapper. Hey, elf, what's so funny? You don't laugh at me, Nightcrawler. Got that? Nobody laughs at Wolverine, Mister. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Wolverine, kind of a kind of a jerk here he got he has the claws fully extended he's jumping out at nightcrawler i mean he's gonna tear him to shreds oh he is going for the kill and the only thing that saves nightcrawler is a is a swift bamf yep which which uh to those just tuning in means he disappears oh right somewhere else (laughs) we don't see where he reappears but we assume that he does somewhere outside he's got a cold (laughs) sweat he's like oh my god (laughs) how did i get outside I told you I couldn't teleport to where I can't see. <laughs> well, Banshee, apparently he's been observing this training session, and he is not happy. I feel like Banshee's kind of the older, you know, guy. He's, he's taking the kids to task and basically kind of taking on a mentorship. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's certainly what this panel is establishing here. I just don't think, based on the comics that we've gone through, that he has the experience and credibility to be able to pull that off. Yeah, you're probably right. Later on, though, uh, in the X-Men, like 200s, 250s, etc., Banshee will take on that uh, role with newer X-Men, which makes a lot of sense because he's been around since the early days. But now he's just kind of like this guy that, eh, you know, he's done a few things. But, But yes, I mean, we also established uh, in... uh, either giant sized or 94 that he's older and he's just i'm just an old cop 
you know. So. Yeah, so Chris Claremont's definitely taken a character that didn't have a lot before and kind of adding to it and making him a little bit different, which is, I suppose, exactly what happens to Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, and I, I personally, even though I'm nitpicking and saying it hasn't been earned, I still I like the idea. It's giving yeah, yeah. everybody a little bit more depth. There's a nice Van Gogh in the background. <laughs> Van Gogh? I don't know. That's how they pronounce it on Doctor Who. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Banshee looks over after he uh, uh, scolds everybody in the danger room and, and uh, notices that the professor is looking a little bit tired. You're looking tired, Charles. Tie to tie. And he, saw, he, he, he says that he's tired because he's been uh, not getting much sleep uh, because uh, he's worried about Scott and that uh, Thunderbird's death has affected him, etc., but I almost wonder if this is opening up a new storyline. I mean, I, I did look ahead. It didn't have to look very far, and, and there's some... Yeah, st- as, we, as we'll find out, it, it it's definitely uh, opening something which I guess we'll talk about when we get there. We'll talk about it next issue, but I I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I seem to think that, that we're, we're starting a new storyline right now with, with this, him being tired. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I would like to point out that the doorbell rings, bing bong, and the professor's looking at his watch, so I thought his watch was making that noise. <laughs> He's like, Sean, look at me watch. Or no, he wouldn't say that. Sean, <laughs> <laughs> look at my watch and the new noise that it makes. Bing bong. Bing bong. Hi, <laughs> professor, that's amazing. No, it's the and, door. And uh, the professor mentions that he is leaving. Uh, he's he's, he's, he's uh, hired a new housekeeper to take after the house while he's gone. Gone where he doesn't elaborate yet, uh, but but uh, Banshee or uh, Sean he he goes into a full run and he is thinking to himself a housekeeper, a uh, nice witter woman, name of Moira McTaggart, probably eighty years old, ugly as sin, with forty years service in the Scots Guard. But he looks pretty excited to go greet her. <laughs> he loves answering the door. It's like his favorite thing. <laughs> oh, the door, the door. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Finally, in me home country, I never got to answer the door. There were too many of us. I and... love it. Sometimes there's mail. Sometimes <laughs> it's just the neighbor looking for sugar. In Ireland, it was just people looking for potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> or me lucky charms. All right, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> he opens the door, and he is shocked to under- or to see that it is not an 80-year-old woman with 40 years of experience. No? No, it's a 40-year-old woman with 80 years of experience. Wait, what? <laughs> what? That's her mutant power. <laughs> no, it is a it is actually a young woman, we'll we'll say in her in her 20s. Sure. Uh, she's she's very attractive. Thinks Sean to himself later in the issue. I'm wondering her age seems to change <laughs> throughout the run of X-Men. Well, given what we know, we have to presume that she is the age of the professor. But we really don't know how old the professor is. And if we think back on the history, uh, the very first issue, the professor is presented as this old, feeble man. But as we've gone forward, we're like, well, no, he lost his hair because of atomic radiation. And, uh, you know, you take that shirt off and he's pretty buff. And, you know, he, he lost his legs because he was fighting uh, that guy. I can't remember his name. All right, so I'm going to say Professor and Banshee are in their late 30s, and Moira is in her early 30s. I really don't know, but sure, I'm going to go with that. That sounds good to me. You know, just just to nail it down. Sure, sure. There's nothing else that's going to tell us differently, so why not? 
her name is Moira McTaggart, and she's been engaged as housekeeper here by Professor Charles Xavier. Do you want to make something of it then, punk? Oh, yeah. She and says. She's like from the wrong side of the tracks, Scott. Oh, yeah. She's on, she's on the East Scott side. <laughs> she's, got, she's got lots of Scottish attitude. She's not from Scotland. She's from Scott World. Sure. <laughs> Scott Village? Sure. Scott Town? Sure. Scott something. <laughs> The narration panel tells us that we're going to cut once again to an airplane hangar where uh, a man wearing a white and red suit is directing an airplane into it. And this this man is Stephen Lang, uh, who is um, the head of a project called the Project Armageddon, and he, he's been waiting for this strange kind of S.H.I.E.L.D.-esque ship with, with the news that the government will have approved his project. So the guy that comes in on the S.H.I.E.L.D.-like ship, his name is uh, Colonel Michael Rossi. Yes. And uh, without giving away too much, and I won't, uh, I feel like he becomes a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Really? Uh, Yeah, but it's not going to make sense at the end of this issue, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. Unless Rossi is just a very common last name to have in the Marvel Universe. Hmm. I'll look it up later. Anyways... Uh, Colonel Rossi is from the government. He's a delegate or something from uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee or some such government thing. And for some reason, uh, they uh, gave him money for something called Project Armageddon. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. (laughs) Could we not have thought of maybe a a more um, peaceful name than Project Armageddon? Yeah, well, this is this is the first clue that the government has that they should not be giving him money. They have put uh, Colonel Rossi in charge of essentially what it seems like is letting Stephen Lang know that this isn't going to fly. After they've put million, a billion dollars, after they stole money in illegal appropriations, totaling a billion dollars for this project. Well, who approved this? Awesome costume that Stephen Lang is wearing. He's got like a Project Armageddon T-shirt on. It's like a right. jumpsuit. Yeah, it's a, it's a full jumpsuit. It's, it's all white and red with a big A logo with a lightning bolt through the A. It is <laughs> it is awesome. So apparently, Project Armageddon comes down to kidnapping mutants, according to Colonel Rossi. Yes, kidnap them, secure these mutant specimens for in-depth examination so that mankind will at least, at last, know its true enemy. That's what my work is all about, Michael. Project Armageddon! <laughs> <laughs> he shouts it crazily with big wide eyes, which is the first clue that my, or that Colonel Ross is like, yeah, you know, I don't know that you were the right man to head this project. Colonel Rossi thinks there is no threat, he says, and then Stephen Lang kind of flips out. Bolivar Trask knew. He understood the danger. He pointed the way. He tried to stop the mutants, Michael, and they killed him for it. Him and his son. (laughs) But they won't destroy me. Oh, and in the background, we see some people at a podium that are pointing to what look like rough outlines of the old X-Men. Yeah, and it looks like, well, first of all, the po- it looks like other people have this awesome Project Armageddon suit, and the, even the podium has a nice A chiseled into the front of it. 
But uh, it also looks like the guy is pointing up the skirt of Marble Girl. <laughs> and under there are her goodie bits. <laughs> uh, also in the first panel, I don't know if this matters or not, but it looks like there are green holding chambers, much like the ones that uh, Bolivar and Larry Trask, or actually I think just Larry Trask had in his little uh, hideout. Oh, I definitely think we're getting some callbacks here. Mm, I think you're right. Colonel Rossi says, I can stop you. You're wrong, Steve, all the way down the line. And uh, he says, Project Armageddon is finished as soon as I get back to Washington. And that's when he walks away and Stephen Lang says, well, that means you must, he says this under his breath, you must never reach Washington alive. And in this panel, we see the legs, the purple on purple legs of some sort of standing mechanical machine how is the omnibus colored like a, is it like a light purple on a dark purple yes okay so the classic x-men is also colored that way but my marvel masterworks the whole thing is like maroon i think the marvel masterworks are recolorings yeah and i think the omnibus goes back to the original colorings interesting like new like new colors of the original color. Right. They go back to the the original color scheme, but still recolor the comic. Okay. I think I was reading somewhere with the Avengers. They, they, for the masterworks, they changed the coloring. I kind of want to get, so this is Marvel masterworks, uh, volume 11, the old, uh, gold foil embossed cover one. The Mm -hmm. new ones that they're making are kind of silver with non embossed covers. And I'm wondering if there's a coloring difference between the two, because these are like the older ones, like the first attempt at, you know, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to the original coloring. I mean, that's something mm-hmm. that probably people cry out about. And probably complain, like, why is this yeah, leg why maroon? Is color all weird, man? <laughs> well, anyways, after that... Uh... Well, do we, do we want to mention what this mysterious foreboding robot in the background most likely is? Absolutely not, Adam. I'm going to be completely honest. I read this... I've read this comic book multiple times... And it wasn't until I was preparing for this show that I even actually realized that there was some robot leg in this panel. Oh, I noticed it right away. <laughs> well, and as I looked at it, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> Why didn't I see that before? I don't know. We'll leave it for our audience to guess what that purple on purple leg could possibly be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we uh, we move now back to the mansion where everybody's kind of settling in after a hard day of training and... Uh, they're going to for- finally get formally introduced to their housekeeper. She's here to look after the rest of you, all of you, as well. I'm away. And Wolverine says, you cutting out on us, boss. Yeah, and he's playing tic-tac-toe apparently by himself on the professor's table. And we get a nice uh, single claw out instead of seeing all three claws out. So we now we know for definitively that. The, uh, he has total control over these claws. Absolutely. But my question is, is why isn't the professor like Logan? <laughs> that is a very expensive table that you're playing tic-tac-toe by yourself on. Please don't do that in my home. <laughs> Everybody's afraid of Wolverine. And why are all of the X-Men, minus Banshee, just hanging out in their costumes? That's, they don't have real clothes. <laughs> they, don't have cl- they haven't been flown over from wherever they came. This is literally like the day after Thunderbird died, which is the day mm-hmm. after uh, Krakoa. So they've only been here for a couple of days, right? No, I don't know, because uh, Marvel superheroes tend to hang out in their, their suits. I mean, we know, because according to the beginning, it's been several weeks since <laughs> Thunderbird died. So they're just ha- hanging out in their, their costumes, just waiting for a mission. 
maybe they just got out of the danger room. You know, they're they they're literally just walked out for some tea. Nobody wanted to take a shower or anything, get cleaned up. Eh, you know, showers are for people that sh- shower. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> But is, is somebody missing? Because maybe somebody's in the shower and there's only one shower. Yeah, Cyclops. Cyclops is in the... I don't know. No, so with Cyclops, I think, is still probably taking a walk. Yeah, I think all the X-Men here are represented, right? <sighs> Anyways. Kitty Pride's in the shower. <laughs> Kitty who? <laughs> uh, so Banshee decides to take on the introductions for Ms. McTaggart. But really, instead of just introducing her, uh, he just steals her off for a cup of coffee. Yeah, he is kind of into her. He really likes her, and he he takes it upon himself to introduce her. And uh, and and in fact, he does he ask her? Oh yeah, he does. He asks her out. And... Mm-hmm. I just I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a little on the nose for the Irish guy or the Scottish guy or whatever he is to be like, oh, another one. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's true. But you know, at the same time, he is the first person that met her, so he's okay. got dibs, as it were. <laughs> The professor is going on vacation, and... Storm questions the idea that the professor let this woman know who they all were. Although, I, I, don't, I don't know why. Well, it's, he, she says, like, uh, but if your intent is to keep our existence a secret, why would you reveal our true nature to the housekeeper? Is he doing that, though? Is he keeping their... They're, they're them secret? Their existence secret? Well, he's keeping the school a secret because he doesn't want to draw undue attention to the school at this point. I mean, for for now, all everybody thinks is that this is a school for gifted youngsters that has no youngsters at it at this point. That occasionally has monsters and gets invaded <laughs> and there was dinosaurs once and uh, Magneto destroyed it a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the neighbors just really aren't mind wiped. <laughs> <laughs> the professor has like a permanent mind wipe field around the mansion. Yeah, that's probably true. Some sort of telepathic yeah. uh, inability to see be see, see what actually is, what is actually happening. Yeah, no matter what's happening in or around the mansion, whatever the people from the outside of this bubble see, it's just a normal mansion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably not even a mansion. <laughs> He's probably just mind wiping everybody. They're probably just in a shack in the back of a cornfield somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this crazy old man who's like, you guys are fighting bad guys. And, and really, they're just in tubes, and the professor's just feeding them all these thoughts. <laughs> bad guys. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. And actually, none of these X-Men have actually changed. Wolverine is actually Angel. Storm is actually Marvel <laughs> Girl. <laughs> oh, all right, maybe not. Well, anyways, it's uh, uh, the um, the conversation about, well, I suppose the professor's just being himself where he's like, that's my affair, Aurora, but don't worry about it. Your secret's safe with, with Mora. Yeah, you can trust Mora McTaggart. Uh, she is, she's super reliable. Oh, yeah, where's Scott? I'm wondering how uh, the story, I mean, obviously we'll find out, but I'm wondering how the story of Mora McTaggart plays out. And I'm wondering if Chris Claremont had a plan all along for, for her character, or if she was just intended to be like, okay, X-Men, I'll clean up after you. Oh, you had another fight. Well, as we know, she is, as we will find out, she is no nonsense. Yes, 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 you're right. Well, in answer to the professor's question, we hear a Zrakow cram, <laughs> crack em. And that is Scott flying through the side of the wall of the mansion. My God, Scott! 
says the professor. And uh, the X-Men are like, what's the matter? What's going on? And Cyclops is all like, you don't understand. It's right behind me. Coming up fast. It'll be here any second now. When? It shows up. When, when it shows up. And it's a, what it is is a demonic, one-eyed bat thing. <laughs> it's got horns. And a forked tongue. Mm-hmm. Fangs. And wings. Wait a minute. On the cover of this, wasn't he green? Yeah. Yeah, he was green. Because I don't know what color he is in your omnibus, but he's red in mine. Yes, he, he is definitely red. Okay. Miss color. On the cover, he was green. His name is Kurok the Damned. Good thing he speaks English. Yes. <laughs> and this this maybe I mean maybe this has been happening all along, but this begins Chris Claremont's desire for characters to introduce themselves all the time. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know if this is the first instance of it, but this is the issue where I first noticed because the first thing that happens is, you know, Kirok the Damned announces himself. I am Kirok, little animal. Kirok the Shatterer of Souls. Kirok the Slayer of Men. Kirok the Damned. And the Cyclops blasts him, and then Wolverine, or not Wolverine, Storm steps in to say, well, Kirok says, you speak as the leader, old one. For that, my claws will taste your blood first. And then Storm steps in and says, not well Storm is alive to stop you, demon. Because, you know, she wants she wants him to know who she is. That won't ever stop. <laughs> well, at least for a long while. And I think it goes back to Stanley's philosophy of every comic book could be a kid's first comic book. So the idea is that everybody somehow in some form introduces themselves in every issue. You don't think this is like... I mean, I haven't really noticed this until this issue and remembering that it's a very Chris Claremonty type of thing, but you think it's been, it's been pretty constant and I just haven't noticed it. Well, it's not, no. I mean, I think it's going to be, if, if that bothers you, it's going to get worse. <laughs> and I don't think, Oh, it, I, I know. I okay. Know. <laughs> it, it was not there in issues 94 and 95, because as you recall, it took, we had to look back at who those characters were. We could barely, right. we got very little introduction on those characters. And then of course, giant size was done by Len Wein. And prior to that, yeah, they didn't introduce themselves as well. No, that's not true. Cause Cyclops would say like, not well, Cyclops lives. And then he would blast something or, yeah, they've always said that, but I think it. Uh, Chris Claremont takes it to a new level. Yeah, I mean, really, Storm's name is mentioned one, two, three, four, four times on one page. Yeah, in we, a matter of four panels. We now know who Storm is. Yeah, <laughs> if we didn't know who Storm was before. We definitely do now. And then she gets called Aurora, just to make sure. It's what? weird how they switch back and forth between their hero names and their their regular names yeah because peter well storm gets scratched defending the professor and then uh kirak goes after her but then peter uh jumps in and says he threatened you aurora he tried to kill you and that colossus will not allow he does not (laughs) oh he just says that on the next page after storm says peter be careful yeah and then you're right and and that colossus will not allow in case you did not know who i was I am Colossus. <laughs> I guess I, maybe as a like a young kid reading this for the first time, I'd be confused because I'd be like, 
yeah, there's Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Aurora, Colossus, and Peter. There's so many people on this team. <laughs> but you know what? I never actually saw who Aurora and Peter were, but, uh, you know, they kept being mentioned. Well, he, he calls, Peter calls Aurora, or a Storm Aurora, and then she responds by calling him Peter, and then right. he calls himself Colossus. So it's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. So Colossus punches Kirok, knocking him over. Uh, and this is, uh, the Kirok then introduces himself further and says that uh, he is uh, a child of the Nagarai, a child of the Elder Gods, we who once ruled the Earth of yours, uh, enter another new storyline. Really? I feel, I, I was wondering, does this does this come back? I don't know that Kirok comes back, but I believe the Nagari play a, a small role in the X-Men universe as we go is, forward. Is this like a, what's her name thing? Uh, Who, Ilana? his sister? No. No, that's Limbo. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, and uh, as we get there, I, I look forward to rereading those issues because I'm, the, the, my least favorite X-Men issues are the ones that feature demons. Yeah, so he's a he's a Nagari, which which we'll learn more about. Uh, but I just want to point out it's another storyline uh, that Chris Claremont is opening. Okay. And yep. So he throws he he pulls up it looks like the floor uh, some sort of steel mattress from the looks at it throws it at Colossus. I thought they were in the kitchen. Yeah, maybe it's the kitchen counter. <laughs> it's quite the uh, <laughs> thick metal riveted kitchen counter that they got there. Maybe Colossus knocked him into the danger room or something. Ah, I don't be. know. So it, the piece of metal gets thrown at uh, Colossus, and this is where Nightcrawler springs into action and is completely ineffective in three panels by punching and punching and punching the big demon that Colossus was unable to hurt with his very powerful punch. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and for it, Nightcrawler is uh, shot, I guess, or is he whipped with, he's whipped with a tail. He's whipped with a tail, and it looks like there's some sort of electricity, but I think it's just the effect of, I don't know, maybe he gets zapped by the no, tail. No, but there's, there's a zrap. There's a thram for the oh, tail yeah. and a zrap for whatever electricity happens. There's definitely a zrap there. <laughs> and Wolverine, now it's his turn, and he says, Fella, you just said the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, and, and so earlier... We saw that there was like a little bit of uh, what seemed like animosity between Nightcrawler and Wolverine. And in here, he's like, nobody messes or the misfit may be a misfit, but he's Wolverine's buddy. Nobody beats on Wolverine's buddy. So nobody beats <laughs> on Wolverine's buddies. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're developing a little bit of Wolverine's character. Like he's like, y you can't laugh at me, but nobody can laugh at you. Because you're my friend or something, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, Wolverine is, I guess, the typical bully. But we get we get a full page of uh, Wolverine where he starts slashing and he goes into the first of what will become known as a berserker rage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, push him too far and he goes mad. And when he does, he kills. Case in point. Ten years of psycho training, a hypnotism, a drug therapy, ten years of praying, and I got him to pieces without a thought. Well, let's man. back up. Let's back up a second, then. Does this put him at 19 years old? I mean, has he really been getting all that psychotherapy for since he was nine years old? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're definitely establishing here that uh, well, kind of like Cyclops earlier in the issue, he just let go and it was all uh, instinct and no control. Nothing changes, Prof. I thought I'd learn to control myself. I guess I was wrong. And you want to know something funny? I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cyclops, he's like, you want to know something even funnier? And then he breaks into his soft shoe routine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, da 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 da. Kirok's not dead. Uh, which is kind of interesting because Cyclops, for the last three issues, has been like, stop joking around. Stop clowning around. Stop making jokes. And now he's like, want to know something funny? <laughs> <laughs> the guy that's trying to kill us, he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. April Fools. <laughs> oh. Uh, and so they turn around and the, now it's the professor's turn, I guess, which is so stupid, right? Because what are we learning here? We're learning that the X-Men attacking Kirok individually is not working. And their mentor who has been teaching them teamwork is like, okay, my turn. Let me try. I'm going to mind probe him. (laughs) Everybody stand back. Don't worry. I, Professor X will take on this villain. He doesn't actually say that. <laughs> no, but... We, we we do get a great panel of everybody looking scared, and Wolverine's like... Whoop. Well, he says, uh, all of you look weaker, as if our strength, our life forces, were somehow being leached away from us. So I, I think that's why, I mean, yeah, it looks like... It's like or, I mean, Wolverine <laughs> looks like he's like, oh, I didn't get a cookie. I'm so upset. <laughs> and Cyclops' leg is miscolored in mine, so it looks like his leg is uh flesh colored oh it looks like it's flesh colored in mine as well <laughs> so they ripped it oh no it is it's it is in the previous panel too so i guess i think they ripped they not only ripped off most of his shirt <laughs> but most of his pants the, too the center section you can see both of his nipples yes they all they also ripped off a pant leg and the x-men are like what were you really doing with kirok <laughs> were you fighting him or what shut up guys shut up he's still alive you want to know something even funnier? <laughs> and Kirok's like, uh, Cyclops flower love? <laughs> <laughs> no, so the professor, he does, he does his mind tap, which Cyclops does recognize is too dangerous. But uh, Well, how does Cyclops know that? I don't know. He Did he try it on him earlier? And he was like, <laughs> with my limited inability to do psychic powers... <laughs> I've determined that it's too dangerous to do a mind probe. It also did not work when I tried to use mental powers, which I do not have. Well, the professor, he probes deep into the mind of Kirok, and it's it's like it's deep inside of hell. And I got to say something, that these comic books are riddled with damn and hell all throughout them. Have you noticed that? Well, there, that, that's, not a, that's not a point yet. Or maybe it was, and it's clear now. What do you mean? I know vam- vampires weren't allowed for a while, but now they are. Yeah. So well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe the comics code kind of loosened up and they were everybody got excited. Yeah, but I, I feel like when I was collecting comic books, there was no damn in hell unless it was like, like, like the issue, like a super impactful issue. Then they maybe might possibly drop a a, a hell. Well, I think the difference is the location hell is okay, whereas saying, like, the hell you will, that's that's not okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh. I mean, I've always, I've always thought that talking about hell like it's a location is okay. No, because uh, maybe you're right, because I think later on in uh, the X-Men, they'll, they'll be like, to Hades with you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're you might be onto something. And they're not saying damn it. They're saying uh, Kirok the damned. So he's he's damned. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. So the professor goes nuts. <laughs> he gets he his mind is overtaken by demons and imagery and that Karen from outside, and uh, it looks like uh, some sort of tentacle Cthulhu beast is in his <laughs> brain. And to that moment, Charles Xavier screams. Yes, he becomes Kirok. Oh yeah, he he actually becomes Kirok. Yeah, good point. What I want to know is, so uh, Banshee starts like, look out all these, the beast is loose again. I get the professor to safety. So is he saying that while he's screaming or is he actually screaming that or what's going on? Again, I, I mean, this is the second time you've brought this up. Um, yeah, his his powers, you know, so far, every issue we've had giant sized mm-hmm. and then we had 94 and 95 and each issue you have taken one of these X-Men's powers to task. <laughs> Last issue, it was Banshee with his sonic scream. Yeah. Who's going to be this issue? I'm sure it's Banshee again because he's talking while he's doing his sonic scream. <laughs> well, I think at this point, he can talk while doing his sonic scream. That's, oh. that's all we know. I don't know whether it's been established in prior issues. No, it hasn't. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be established later on. That's a good but, point. Uh, I don't remember if it's been established yet. I feel like in his, his, his origin or his introduction issue, he thought, like, well, I can't talk while I scream, but maybe not. Maybe I just made that up. Maybe that's what I wanted to happen. Well, you'd have to go back and do the research, Jeremy. And if I know you as well as I know you, you're not going to. <laughs> the, 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 the likelihood of that is very possible. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Moira McTaggart, she runs in, and she's... Uh, if your sonic blast will do na good, let's see how Jan Kelpie fares against close-range machine gun fire. She is coming in guns a-blazing, and she doesn't look at where... She's coming from a room <laughs> called the Armory, and she's just blasting everything, and she manages to kill every single X-Man, <laughs> except and only Kirok lives, and then he bites her head off, and the comic's over. It really looks like that could have ha- happened, because it looks like she's running around a corner just... <laughs> firing blindly into the fray without a she's care in totally the world. She's totally not looking where she's shooting. She's looking in a completely different direction. Well, she doesn't shoot the X-Men, but Banshee's like, a chick with a gun. I'll be back, guys. That is so hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I, and I got to give props for to Kirk, Chris Claremont here. He's, he's developing some, you know, female characters with actual... Uh, strength and panache and, and so it's kind of cool he's atoning for the sins of his forefathers in this x-men title right there's no you know marvel girl being all like ah. well marvel girl was pretty i don't know well it it doesn't last it, long it's no sue storm in the original fantastic four let's put it that way it doesn't last long because banshee's like moira me darling you're a fine figure of a woman and brave and to boot and i'm thinking i like you a lot but here and now lassie you're playing out of your league and instead of calmly walking her away to safety he picks her up uh you know in the cradled arms and, and runs her away and and sets her towards safety yeah which is silly and and chauvinist and whatever but but at the same time he does have a good point it's it's a it's a freaking demon <laughs> it's a freaking demon and she doesn't have any mutant powers and maybe she should right. leave the the battle to the to the people of powers yeah yeah i mean he's not like picking up storm and saying storm you don't belong here <laughs> good point fair enough 
so the professor's kind of coming back around from his encounter with becoming Kurok for, for a moment. Lord in heaven, my mind, my mind. Lord, what I saw, what I saw, no man should see. Scott, how are we doing? I do, I mean, okay, it's a little bit of a change of pace, but I do like that. I mean, normally the professor would be like, okay, Scott, do this, you do that, everybody over here, mind wipe, issue over. But instead, he's he's kind of uh, in, a, in a passive pose. The lettering is small, indicating that he's a little bit enfeebled. And he's like, Scott, how are we doing? Like, he's genuinely like, I don't have anything. What are we going to do next? Yeah, it's 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 kind of nice. It's like Chris Claremont had an agenda in this issue, and one of his things was like mind wipes don't work anymore. Right. We're getting rid of the professor. We're we're setting him up for leaving, and we're also setting up for the fact that his powers are not going to work as as they have in the past. Yeah, he's not going to save the day every time. Right. The professor, though, does uh, suggest that the only way to defeat him, which he would know from his little mind meld or whatever he had, uh, was to destroy him at the source. And he so effectively he saves the day. Damn it. Damn it. You're right. I guess everything I just said, I take back. <clears throat> but we did see the Cairn in his little mind meld. So, I mean, it's, it's reasonable that even though he was kind of hurt bad and everything, like he was able to get the details out of his head, out of Kurok's head. Yeah. But you're right. Go, child. I will direct you. But hurry, Storm. Hurry, or we are doomed. Yeah, so I take back everything I said. He's totally saving the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> But Sto- not as much as Storm, who, uh, you know, goes straight towards the cairn, and there's all sorts of little demons around it, and she fights them off with some lightning bolts and attempts to seal the, the cairn, and... And then she gets this, these weird two panels of flashback. Well, wait, before all that happens, now, she, yeah, she gets a, a, a mental spike through her chest. So she's talking about, as she's flying around to the demon, she's talking about how she's free of the houses and the walls and the people and the cages, and she's just herself, she, and she's free and happy and alive. Kind of out, of out of place in the middle of a battle, but okay. Yeah, but, then, you know, she's, she's establishing that she likes to spread her wings which is when she gets attacked by the little demon people. But I think she figures out that they are not real. The, they're created of, out of light and smoke by the cairn. They are creations of the Nagari. Well, whatever they are, and for whatever hell they spawn them. God, that's the third use of hell in this issue. They'll find Storm no easy prey. And then she shoots the, uh, the cairn, uh, attempting to seal it, but... This is when she's pulled into, or is attempted to be pulled into the cairn, and we get these two oddly placed uh, flashback images. Yeah, we get we get a flashback of Storm holding someone's like a baby baby Storm, or I guess like toddler Storm, mm-hmm. holding somebody's what hand, presumed to be her mother's mm-hmm. hand. And in between that, she's she's trying to pull away. She's trying to get free. She's she's not very happy about this. And then we flash to uh, another scene of her unconscious. It looks like underneath a collapsed building uh, with a with that same arm of of presumably her mother uh, in the foreground, most likely dead. It's all bloody and yeah, it's 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 dead. So I like this. I mean, there's, if there's no like. 
duh, here's this backstory. There's no dialogue. There's no narration. It's just two little panels of something that we can conclude on our own that happened in Storm's past. This is where uh, I got a little lost because uh, simultaneity, I don't know what that means. Well, she's supposed to close the cairn, but she ends up destroying it. What does simultaneity mean, or is that a typo? Oh, I, I just totally skimmed over that and read it as simultaneously. Well, so did I. I'm just wondering if it's a typo or if simultaneity is actually a word. Yeah, it's, it's probably a word mm-hmm. that neither you nor I recognize. Well, in one instant, a cairn is riven with fire and sacred woods. Uh, words reformed, a cage door slams shut forever. And in that same instant, 30 miles away, a demon simply eh, disappears. So, wait a minute. This cairn that Cyclops shot up in the beginning of the issue was 30 miles away from the mansion? Yeah, well, that's why it took him so long to get back. And he ran that whole way being chased by a demon? Well, I'm sure the demon picked him up and threw him a couple times. Maybe, you know, like 10 miles here, 5 miles here. Well, how did he get 30 miles out in the first place? He walked. (laughs) That's a hell of a walk. He had a lot on his mind, Jeremy. It took him 30 miles to get Thunderbird off of his mind. Well, maybe. And apparently several weeks. <laughs> yeah. So well, he's been he's been out he's been out for like days. <laughs> I'm just like you, you walk at about I mean a fast walk is like 6 miles an hour. So that's like a 5-hour walk out and then he's probably running back cuz he's being chased by a demon. So 3 <laughs> hours back to to run those 30 miles unless he's like a marathon runner. Uh, but even still, that's that's pretty fast. So he's been gone for eight hours, and now he's fighting. Well, you know, his shirt's shredded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't know if Chris thought about that when he wrote the 30-mile thing down. Would you have been more satisfied with 20? I would, like, the backyard. And simultaneously, <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> because, I mean, we're led to believe that Cyclops is in the backyard of the mansion running around. And then we're like... Man, there's Cairns in the back of the mansion. There's a who's the uh, super adaptoids in the back of the mansion. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All of these crazy creatures. But no, it's thirty miles away. Anyways, just a just a funny little point there. Kirok, he's gone. Yes, Scott. I think the storm has done her work well this night. But what was he, Professor? Where did he come from? Why did he attack us? I don't know, Scott. I don't, I don't think we'll, we'll ever know. know. Well, why isn't the professor like, Scott, how the hell do I know about Nagari history? I've never <laughs> heard of them before. But no, instead he's like, whatever Kirok and his kind were, they once ruled mankind and they want very much to rule mankind again. We have not seen the last of Kirok, Scott, or of the Nagari kind. God help us all. Hey, and Storm's back, oh. so she can she can fly she can fly thirty miles very quickly. That I'll buy. Because winds can go up to like 30 miles an hour. Well, still 30 miles an hour. Take an hour to traverse those 30 miles. No? She flew really fast. (laughs) She flew really high up in the air. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. There's still a speed (laughs) element to it. It doesn't matter how high you get. Oh, she caught a jet stream. Is that what you're trying to get to? I don't know. Something like that. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) And then we get the last panel, which is fantastic because uh, we've opened up I don't know, three or four new storylines. And then only, only, well, okay. We've got, we've got Stephen Lang, which is what this last panel closes. And we've got the Nagari. Yep. We've got storm. We've got the professor leaving. Yep. 
And then we've got Storm and some crazy backstory that's happening oh, there. Oh, you, you count that. Okay, okay. Well, so sure. we got four. Uh, yeah, at least four little storylines have been opened. Well, anyways, this last panel, uh, there's a bunch of military people, and they're all shouting around this crashed airplane, Colonel Rossi, Mickey, Mickey! It's no use, sir. They're all dead. Every man aboard, including the colonel. For pity's sake, Major, there's nothing you can do. And the narration box says, And miles away, a man who has done enough this night watches this scene on his command console and laughs. And we're led to ask, What man? The professor? He's done a lot tonight. Cyclops? <laughs> Nightcrawler? No, you fool. It's Stephen Lang. How would we know that without something like a like a image of him or something because we're intelligent readers of comic books we know these things we're, we're we're kids in this day and age we can put two and two together i don't think i would have been able to <laughs> maybe i'm a slow <laughs> right, dumb well. kid but i've been like who are they talking about <laughs> all right uh, anyways the next issue is uh some old friends return and the x-men suddenly find themselves locked in a battle to death in the shocker we call my brother my enemy. Wow. So this is where Wolverine's brother shows up and they fight for the first time? No, it's where the Juggernaut returns. <gasps> and he fights the Professor. Yeah. Sweet. Well, stick to uh, stay with us for next issue when we talk about the Professor and the Juggernaut's epic uh, battle. <laughs> yeah. And Colossus's brother comes back, too. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's actually every member of the team has a brother. And they all come back, and they're all on this enemy team called the Y-Men. <laughs> well, I think, actually, Colossus does have a brother. Yeah. And does Storm and have a brother? And he comes back in the next issue. Does Nightcrawler have a brother? Sure. Mm -hmm. And they all come back in the next issue. Okay. They all have brothers, I guess. And most of them have sisters, too, I'll bet. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple of letters that we could just jump into here real quick. One of which is from Christopher Sanderson, who wrote us a very long email, uh, which is fantastic. I fully enjoyed uh, writing it. He uh, you wrote it. You fully enjoyed writing it. I totally. I tell you, I like to take credit for all people's work. <laughs> thank you for thank you, Chris Sanderson, for allowing me to write your email. No, he he wrote it, and I enjoyed reading it. It was a very good letter. I enjoyed it quite a quite a bit as well. Uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but I, I want to touch upon a couple of notes he mentioned because I think they're worthwhile. Uh, X-Men Evolution, he agreed uh, with me on that because he thought the premise was a little silly, uh, the X-Men being high schoolers and such. Uh, but apparently he gave it another chance somewhere in the second season and found an episode in which Captain America and Wolverine were performing some missions in World War II and in present, which he liked, uh, and also there were some other things going on involving Magneto, and I guess he got hooked and went back and watched the whole thing and, and said it is. Actually, if you can get past them being high schoolers, it's a pretty good show. So, fair enough. I only watched a couple of episodes before I decided it was stupid. <laughs> he says, I can't think off the top of my head any other show that went from crap to absolute gold. Yeah. Uh he says that at times it was actually better than the 90s cartoon. 
And uh, look, I'll, here's what I want to say about the 90s cartoon. I, the real reason I like the 90s cartoon is because they didn't do what they did in X-Men Evolution. The X-Men were the X-Men doing what the X-Men do. They didn't have a monkey. They didn't have like a invisible car and they weren't high schoolers. Nobody was reoriented or rejiggered to fit some storyline. They were just the X-Men. I don't know, Jeremy. The Beast was there. He, the Beast was there and he was Blue So Beast. they clearly had a monkey. <laughs> no, he looked more. Yeah, I suppose. That's fine. <laughs> but still, it wasn't a monkey invented for the show. He was straight from the comic book pages. That being said. Didn't they invent Morph, though, or something? Yeah, well, they invented Morph so they had somebody to kill to do the Sentinel story because they didn't want to, like. So, but that I can, I can forgive that. I can forgive that. And I want to say that Morph actually came into the X-Men comics continuity at some point. I think eventually he did, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, everything, season circles, cycles, stuff like that. But if you w- go back and you watch them, um, the animation is kind of stilty and kind of jerky. And even though it is the X-Men doing the things that the X-Men do, that it, whenever they get into a fight scene, I mean, they're kind of hamstrung by the old, like, 80s and 90s parental uh, violence uh, groups. So you don't really actually see them doing much in the way of fighting. You know what I mean? It's usually like somebody shoots a rock and the rock falls on somebody, but it's never like Wolverine guts somebody or (laughs) Cyclops, you know, shoots off a leg or something like that. But anyway. It's cartoons. Give it a break. Jeez. I like my cartoons gritty and violent. (laughs) Uh, and he goes on, I think, to mostly, and, and I'm paraphrasing greatly here. Um, I think he goes on to mostly agree with you, Adam, on the X films in terms of one being really good. Uh, he liked the experience of sitting in the theater, theater seeing a serious X-Men movie. But he also uh, liked X3 for its, um, what, Return of the Jedi factor. Well, he said, yeah, for every awesome moment, you get one not so awesome moment. I would like say you're... that for every awesome moment in X3, you get three sh- crappy moments. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. So anyways, uh, he asked us some questions. and he Well, first he says that too bad January Jones was in um, X-Men First Class. Yeah. She could not act her ba- way out of a paper bag. And I have to say, I blame the director, not the actor. I always blame the director for an actor's poor performance. Yeah. Because if an actress like January Jones, who is excellent in Mad Men, is not so hot in another uh, in, in another thing, it's got to be the director's fault. Admittedly, she is playing the same character, <laughs> uh, which is not a good thing, but because maybe she only has one like uh, one thing that she can play. But she's really good in Mad Men. Yeah. So, I highly recommend you give her a chance. Try try Mad Men out, and maybe you wouldn't think so badly about January Jones. As far as her being hot, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. I wonder <laughs> now, Adam. I wonder, like you, you like Mad Men a lot, right? The I show. do. So I wonder, like when I first saw Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I was like, this is a really funny, great movie. And it I is was, a really funny, great movie. And I was like, this Russell Brand guy is hilarious. And then I realized. He's not playing a character. He's just playing himself. And I was like, oh. 
because I had never seen or heard of him uh, before I had seen that movie. And I was like, this guy's hilarious. And then I saw another movie with him. He's like, why, why is he just, why is he the same character? I was like, oh, he's, that's not a character. That's just what he does. So I'm wondering if January Jones is like, that's what she does. And like, she's perfect for Mad Men because that's the character, but you put her in something else and, uh, and she's not so great. I don't know. Cause I've never really seen Mad Men. Um, I will say that as far as uh, Emma Frost characters go, I didn't, you know, I don't, I didn't really see her that way. I don't know. I guess I, I wanted maybe a, uh, I don't know, softer, bubblier, eviler Emma Frost. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't know if she was just wrong for the part, or if, if just the the director just couldn't get her to do. Her lines were cheesy as hell, too. I yeah. Mean, it, it, sometimes an actor just doesn't know what to do with those lines. I'm, I'm with you. And, and, and not, not everybody is a comic book actor. And let's put it this way. I mean, the um, comic book movies are not really character pieces. Yeah. I mean, you do a little bit of character development with a couple of key characters, and then you do cool action. Right. And, and cool visuals. So, anyways... Question for me is, uh, Mr. Jeremy, in my or in your expert opinion, who would win, Freedom Force or the tag team of Juggy Black Tom? And I really wanted to put some thought into that, and I didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and we're in the spoilers section, so so beware, fire beware. But uh, we don't know who Black Tom is yet, but we'll soon learn who he is, and. He partners up with the Juggernaut, and I really don't know why, to be honest. Like, I think their powers complement one another, but I don't know how. Do they never? They never really explain that. They, I'm sure they do, but again, like most of those issues, I either read when I was 12 and I wasn't really paying so much attention to the to the story content, and then I read them again in the Essential Collection, which didn't stick at all because I guess no. you know it's just too much black and white, or I don't know. So I'm sure it's explained. I think he's got some magical powers, uh, but I don't quite recall. I got to be honest. I guess I'd go with Freedom Force just because there's more of them. <laughs> and uh, you got Destiny who'd be able to tell the future as to what they're about to do next. And the blob could sit on them. And I don't know, Pyro could heat them up and, and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but Avalanche could bury them. I don't know. There you go. That, that's my take. Adam, you get a question. Um, is a big Wolverine fan. He was very happy that you mentioned Cyber. That's his favorite Wolverine baddie and thought he never really got his due. He is wondering that if Cyber was in a third Wolverine movie, who would you put in as Cyber? Now, I, I too wish I had put more thought into this than I did, but I did put some thought into it. And I was, I was thinking that there is nobody on earth who is the hulking size of Cyber. So they would either, they either have to CGI it or something like that. And then I thought maybe I would actually go kind of reverse and just hire an actor who was not necessarily uh, that hulking kind of mass, but just somebody who's, who could be like a really good um, kind of evil character to face off against Wolverine. And I, and so I kind of, I didn't really come up with anybody in particular, but I was thinking along the lines of like, uh, maybe Russell Crowe or something weird like that, or just uh, uh, Adrian Brody or, or, or somebody who is an actor, but 
could pull off like a menacing bad guy villain and they would have to make cyber slightly different than his right like, comic book self so they yeah so you would you would suggest doing uh like refitting the character for the screen kind of like what they're doing with mandarin in the iron man movie yeah exactly and they could still use the adamantium skin and all that cool stuff but um let me ask you this now that that's sam keith's run in in marvel comics presents right yes uh that's where cyber was created but he he goes on to become more interweaved in wolverine's history okay as time goes on how about uh, uh how about uh sylvester stallone in his prime with the big metal suit on yeah i thought of that and i thought of Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously, but eh. no, I just, I just feel like these big bulky guys that would actually physically fit the part are just crappy actors. Well, and so I would rather have a really good actor. Like I really like the fact that they recast uh, Sabretooth and they, they give him, they give him some chops. Oh, it was right. the only good part of the first movie was that he was, you know, a decent actor. The first Wolverine movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what was his name? Uh, uh, I don't remember. Uh, he's been in a Schreiber, Liev Schreiber. Liv Schreiber, yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's a great actor. And honestly, like when they cast him, I was like, really? Because he's been in some pretty, you know, some pretty meaty movies in the past. Like I don't really see him as an action guy, but he certainly pulled it off. So, and honestly, there's a lot of. Uh, I, I was actually going through some of my X Men comic books. Uh, uh, newer ones, not the older ones, and you know, there's they did a really good job like making them up to look like more modern Sabretooth. So, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, he let's see here. Fun fact: uh, just finishing this up. Uh, apparently, uh, his wife put money down uh, on the Grant Morrison new X Men omnibus. Uh, she didn't have enough to buy it, which I understand because those things are expensive. So apparently, she put it on layaway. But they bought it together, I guess. I'm not really sure what happened. And they read it together. And uh, now that is their um, that is their run of X-Men. And they would like to know, or he would like to know, if we plan on doing a special episode discussing the run. And I would say... We don't know yet. Because that's, that's not the uncanny X-Men. That's going to be new X-Men. So we, we don't know what we're going to do at that point. I mean... Who knows? Um, I definitely love that run. I, I, I think that's a great run to have be your and your spouse's uh, run. And I hope you have the original uh, new X-Men omnibus because those things are worth a lot. Which, what's, the, what's on the cover of the original one? Uh, I don't know because I don't have it. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think it's just whatever the cover of the one of the, the... the, the miniature hardcovers is. Oh, okay, okay. The reprint, they actually, I would recommend that you sell your new X Men hardcover for like three to four hundred bucks, <laughs> and could just buy. They just reprinted it, so I would just buy the reprint. Make some money off the deal. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, the new X Men run is interesting to me because for the longest time, like I knew about it, and I, I have um, read very limited uh, issues from that run. And you don't see them very often. Like, I'll, I'll be in the used bookstore, and you'll see plenty of Uncanny X-Men's or uh, the old uh, uh, Jim Lee X-Men's or new ones. But you very, very, very rarely will you see a random issue of new X-Men spread amongst those used issues. So they either didn't print many of them or people just want to hang on to them. And I'm betting it's the latter. Well, I was uh, I actually got back 
like I had been not stopped collecting comics for like a couple of years and I got back into comics just before that run launched. So I have all those issues and I have to say they made the X-Men. I mean, I, if, if we can figure out a way to do them, I definitely think we should because they, they pretty much set the, the palette for what the X-Men are now. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and I agree. I've read uh, I've read the first three issues, and the first uh, three issues, in my opinion, seem to be uh, a shot in the arm for a dying franchise. Exactly, and that's what it was uh, promoted as, and that's what it was. And unfortunately, there was some really bad art in, in <laughs> as like fill in art. Yeah, sad. But... Sadly, so I have the first three issues which I, I, I bought it. I did actually buy those at a secondhand store. I was like, whoa, what is this new X-Men thing? And I picked them up. They were like five bucks for the first three issues in fairly good condition. Read them. I was like, this is amazing. And I didn't find any more until recently. If you guys have been following the Facebook, you'll see that I bought a whole bunch of X-Men comics for like next to nothing. Uh, included in there was the entire second half of the new X-Men run, which I'm led to believe is not quite as good as the first half. But still, yeah. I have them. <laughs> the, the, the art definitely lacks. and um, But, you know, there's some good stuff. There's the there's the future story, which I guess is debatable well, I'm, whether it's good or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll see when we get there, <laughs> which will be years from now. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely. I mean, if, if we don't. If we if we do decide not to do the X Men, we'll definitely somehow touch on it. So uh, Nicholas Hoekstra he asks us an interesting question. Uh, he he says that he was totally confused about the numbering system until he realized that they were numbering the reprints after sixty six, so basically sixty seven through ninety three, and that's why you have that uh, issue discrepancy. But his question is. Which I guess we didn't explain. Uh, yeah, we really didn't. We just kind of, we just, I guess, assumed everybody knew that. But he asked a great question. Um, are there any reprints, with, are, are any of the reprints with higher numbers worth more than the original prints? And to start off this answer, um, as I went through my history, I've only seen uh, a, a handful of X-Men comic books from the that period of time. Uh, I saw the death of Professor X, the Stranger issue, number 11, uh, the issue with Sauron on the cover, and issue 101 with the Phoenix rising out of the water. Those are the only issues I've ever seen, like, like I could have put my hands on them because they were in the comic book store, or in some cases did put my hands. But I've never, ever seen one of those reprint issues anywhere. So... Not that I'm any sort of, you know, amazing comic book traveler, but I just, you know, I've never seen them. Uh, so I, I looked them up. Uh, I did some very uh, rudimentary research. I went to a place called mycomicshop.com and just looked up uh, issue number 68, which is a reprint of issue 14 and 15. Apparently, with a GCG CGC grading of 9.6, it sells for $675. <laughs> while its counterparts with a let's see a, a cgc rating of 9.4 and 7.0 respectively so not a great comparison sell for 248 dollars and 450 dollars so the reprint sells for almost as much as the two issues combined wow now that's a very non-scientific example I did there, but you know. All right, because of the whole CGC. Do you have any comics that are CGC rated? Well, and then okay, that thank you. You've just you've just <laughs> you've you've asked me the question that I wanted to answer all night long. So I went through my comic book collection. and I was thinking to myself, 
boy, I don't really have any old comic books until I stumbled upon my Fantastic Four number 26, which I had actually found in a dumpster once. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, the cover's still attached, which is amazing. All the pages are there. Uh, the, the edges are all old and crinkly and everything. The paper's yellow. Uh, and then there's writing all over the, uh, the cover. It's a cover of the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, uh, basically working on a, f- a building frame site. And uh, it says, like, the Avengers take on the Fantastic Four or something like that. Well, whoever owned this comic book put little word balloons on all of the characters. And uh, the only one I remember is Hulk saying, I'd rather fight than switch, which is a take on uh, Martin Luther King's famous some would rather switch than fight or something like that. So I can't tell if that's funny or racist. But anyways, everybody has a little uh, word balloon on them. So I'm like, okay, well, this con- this comic book has probably got a very low CGC rating. <laughs> uh, it probably has a rating because it's, it's intact, but it's all written over. So I was looking it up online. I was like, well, I wonder if it's even worth getting the CGC rating, right? Because you get that nice plastic case. You get the number on there, and it's you know it's all official and everything. I'm like, you should do an experiment. You should CGC it and then sell it and see what you can get for it. <laughs> well, so then I started looking it up and I was like, well, what is Fantastic Four number 26 worth? And I look it up and in, in you know, like 9.4 condition or super high graded condition, it's worth $1,600. <laughs> I'm like, well, it must be worth something, right? Because it must have the first of something if it's worth so much. I couldn't find anything that would... Show me a. I found a, a pretty poor uh, quality version on eBay that was going for sixty dollars, and I'm like, you know, if I could somehow conclude that this issue was worth about sixty dollars, I would spend maybe twenty or thirty dollars to figure out how the whole CGC rating thing works, because it must cost you money to do, right? Yeah, I think it's like twenty five bucks an issue. So if I sent, you know, did the whole thing and get it back, it's like a two point four. <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> but you know, that'd be something suitable to like put on the wall. Be like, look, it's the only comic book I have from like nineteen nineteen sixties. See, I've always, I have one comic book that is like it's in a mylar bag and it's in mint condition, and it's the only comic book that I would ever consider getting CGC rated, just because I don't want to I don't want to screw that up. Yeah, it's in perfect condition. What is it? It's Gru number one. Oh. And it's from it's like the from the Pacific run before they switched over to Marvel. And I think I paid twenty bucks for it. But it's in like perfect condition and I just wanna I, I wanna protect it to oh. the best of my ability, but yeah, well, you could either CGC it or I mean they make those big plastic cases that you could put it in. But of course, you don't want to screw around like, oh shoot, I tore the the cover because I was not being as careful as I could have as I was sliding into this giant piece of plastic. Right, right. and I, and I don't know like how like I would like to I would like to go somewhere and have it CGC rated, but I don't want to send it in the mail. Right, right. And I hear that like you can bring it to your local comic shop and they'll get it CGC rated, but. I don't trust my local comic shop. <laughs> so listeners, if you've ever had uh, somebody out there I know has had a comic CGC rated, tell us what's the experience like and, and uh, how would we go about getting our comic CGC rated? Is it worth it? Is, is it a cool thing to do? Should I even bother with my uh, intact but horribly ruined Fantastic Four number 26? I think you should, yeah. just for the experience. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Just so that I can tell you how it went. Yeah, yeah. You can tell everyone. Um, Did we have anything else? Uh, Uh, We got another uh, iTunes review. Oh, fantastic. 
This one's from Kid Nixon, and it is titled Awesome? Question <laughs> mark. And then he says, yes, awesome. I love how people keep going back to the whole awesome thing. Oh, that's right. We've gotten like four of them with this awesome. Anyway, he says, yes, awesome, as well as funny, entertaining, enlightening, and sometimes thoughtful. No, but mostly just awesome. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Who is that? Who is that from? That was from Kid Nixon, which is a great name. Thank you, Kid Nixon. I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, anybody else wants to uh, uh, pay us some some comments or ask us a question or what have you, you can visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or dangerroom.com forward slash dangerroompodcast. Twitter us at at dangerroomgo. Or give us a send us a voicemail at five zero one get X Men, and you can email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. So, with that out of the way, I think it's time to get to the part that you've all been waiting for. Yeah, we're getting we're getting kind of late, so we'll have to do this one pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to take all that long to do. No, I actually, I don't, I don't think so. I actually read this whole one so that I could spot the difference in the comic book. Well, did you notice on page? seven that the dave cockram really needed to redraw the spaceship as it was landing no did i just blow your mind you did really on the second <laughs> panel that's redrawn yep oh nope i guess I, uh, you know what i would do a side by side but i see no reason to do it <laughs> but the real changes begin on page nine where we get an entirely pointless scene of Aurora swimming naked and all the X-Men discovering her and being like, oh my gosh, she's naked. Ah, ah. Yeah, yeah. This serves no purpose whatsoever. Except for it's the second time that Chris Claremont has gone back to this, oh, Aurora likes running around naked. He's he's really like driving this point home. The professor's like, uh, uh, after Peter gives her a big shirt, like, Aurora, uh, you know, what's customary in your own land may not be in this one. For the sake of everybody around and, and harmony, I suggest in the future you use more discretion. By the way, I'm a giant floating head, <laughs> and I was watching you this whole time. <laughs> now, that, now that everybody noticed, I'm going to admonish you for it, but before, I, it was fine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the legs may not work, but everything else does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, anyways, as he was uh, checking out Storm while she was swimming, he was also talking to Moira McTaggart. And they have a little back and forth about, I wonder who's the fool, her or us, or something like that. Yeah, and she talks about the X-Men and what, what he wants her to do, or what the professor wants her to do with the X-Men. And she gives him a little kiss, or not even a kiss, but kind of a little uh nose kiss an eskimo kiss on the cheek yeah but does she act does he actually tell her what she wants him to do no because then they cut back to the comic oh what i don't like about these whole additional two pages is that wolverine is not wearing his costume this is not the wolverine we know so far look he was yeah (laughs) this isn't a 19 year old kid what's he where's his costume (laughs) he looks like an old man an old hairy man (laughs) The X-Men wear their costumes at all times. Nightcrawler should be in his costume. I'll, I give Aurora a break because She's naked. that's the whole point of the scene. But 
everyone else should be in their costume. That's a good point. This is the, that's how the X-Men hang out at this point. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I hate this. So that's the only change. And I, why is it there? It makes no sense. Well, there is one more change. It's on page. Oh, my page numbers are cut off. Page 19. And it's the two things that we talked about with the Aurora flashbacks. They now have captions. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Memory, old place, young Aurora. She is happy. Memory, then... darkness, pain of body and soul. She screams and sobs till her throat is raw, but no one answered. She is alone. Ah, that adds nothing. I know. Really... That's the worst thing about it, though, is he felt compelled to go back and add these captions to these scenes but they didn't add anything to it. All right. The guy in the first uh, flashback with the red uh, hat, was he in the original drawings? Oh, I don't know. Because that looks like kind of a call forward or call back to like the Shadow King or something. Oh, you think so? I, I suppose know. it could be. I don't know. I'm going it's, to. It's, it's, I'm just going to take a quick look here. <laughs> no, he's there. He's totally there. Okay. So that's the only difference is. So the the backup story, the real reason that you're here is because you want to hear all about the Big Dare. And uh, yep. <laughs> this is uh, Chris Claremont and John Bolton. Uh, and again, I, I guess I, I was kind of chided a little bit by, by, by one of our listeners saying that John Bolton is a great artist. And, and maybe he is, but just not here. No, I, I disagree. I think he is he's a good artist. I mean... This first splash panel is pretty good. It's Wolverine and uh, Nightcrawler, and they're basically playing tag. And the next page, uh, they're going back and forth. Not too much really to talk about, but there's no backgrounds. Yeah, well, okay, that that's a valid criticism. But there's a there's not a lot of backgrounds in a lot of things. I mean, uh, there's just there's no there's no gradient. There's no variety. It's just white or blue, white or blue. And in fact, you go to the last panel here where there's like a, it's like a the full bottom quarter of the page, and the, there's trees and there's bushes, and then the background is just white. It's still good art. I mean, the Wolverine looks really good. Nightcrawler looks really good, and the okay. scenery that's in that you can see is really nicely done i guess uh i'm uh, all right so i'm gonna modify uh, i guess my point here that he does draw some pretty good heroes but i just uh, something about either the inking and the backgrounds that i just it's i look at it and i'm bored it's definitely like like i said last episode it's it's a realistic style it's sparse it's it's, it's like heroes heroes gone real which may not may not be your cup of tea if you're into the more super heroic. I've been trying thing. to be a little bit more open-minded about my artists. So, I'm trying to keep an open mind about my John Bolton here, but I'm going to there's going to be one that I'm going to point out uh, <laughs> coming up. But but you're right, for the most part everybody does I mean Wolverine and Nightcrawler, they do look pretty good. And maybe yeah. it's just that uh his art was so different from Dave Cockrum, John Byrne and uh Silvestri that I was like, well, who is this guy? And why are the X-Men looking weird and funny? You clearly have some weird childhood bias. <laughs> I do. I'm very stuck in the past. Well, anyways, uh, Nightcrawler is doing his little trick where he teleports back and forth to confuse Wolverine, but finally Wolverine just elbows him in the gut. We get a we get a Mein Freund, which is my friend. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to translate the German. You tell the story. What's the story? <laughs> oh, the story is like... 
He's yeah. Wolverine's like got him pinned to the ground. He's gonna stab him with his claws, but at the last minute, he snacks his claws back in. Right, the opposite of a snicked is a snacked. Absolutely. And uh, Nightcrawler's heading back to the mansion and says, uh, and Wolverine says, "Where are you going?" Nightcrawler's like, "Well, you said the loser buys beer, so I was off to the fridge." Which at first I was like, "Wait a minute." The loser buys beer. You can't go to the fridge and get a beer that's already been purchased. You now have to go get the beer because you lost because you have to buy the beer. Well, see, the thing is, the the fridge is just, it's it's like locked off from the X-Men, and they actually have to pay money. <laughs> the, the professor has a system worked out where he, he gets the money, that, the stipend that he gives the X-Men, <laughs> he earns back by not allowing them into certain rooms and certain areas in the fridge. Gotcha. Well, Wolverine does not want to pay this Professor X tax. So he says, let's head up to the monastery. Let's head up to the, the bar. He's in a mood to partay. Yeah. <laughs> in town. Now, does Wolverine say, I want to party? Oh, yeah. He's he's always like, I'm in the mood to party, punk. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Nightcrawler pulls out from his, uh, his uh, circus costume a little device that looks like a tricorder. And uh, we find out that it is an image inducer. And with this image inducer, which they were able to get from Tony Stark, he is able to make himself look like anybody. Like a dude who kind of looks like Cyclops or Professor X or Aurora or Wolverine. Yep. Or just back to the dude. And so uh wolverine's like what the heck are you ashamed at the face that you were born and nightcrawler's like yeah no but you know i don't want to draw undue attention so anyways they head out to harry's hideout which is a bar in town because apparently they live in a uh, small new england town i don't know is this what it looks like in westchester new york never been oh okay well there's like we should go to westchester and do a podcast from there. We should see if we can find Harry's hideout, hideout and do a podcast from it. <laughs> I don't. We should just do it from our hotel or something. But <laughs> yeah, we should definitely take a tour around the town and maybe make a video or something. See if we can find Gray Malkin Lane. <laughs> we'll totally. Just assume that everything is hidden by the mind wipe. Oh, of course. We feel like this is the bubble in which the professor's mansion would be, but we can't see through it because we're mind wiped. <laughs> Adam, is that you? <laughs> I don't know. Where am I? So we get a lot of backstory about this place, but it turns out that this place has become a fast hangout for the X-Men to unwind. And there's a little bit of back and forth between Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine talk or Nightcrawler's talking about the circus. And oh, yeah, which is, what? what is the circus in German? Uh, it is this. Der Jahrmarkt. Der Jahrmarkt. Which directly directly translates to uh, the fun fair. Yeah, yeah. But it means the circus. Yeah, basically. That's uh, that's uh, that's why Google Translate is here to help us because I would never know how to pronounce that one. There's another one that I think we're going to get to uh, in a few moments, maybe. But uh, anyways, so uh, Wolverine's what Wolverine's really trying to drive at is Nightcrawler ashamed of his looks, and eventually he dares him to take the image inducer and walk around town uh, in, as Nightcrawler. Might this be the big dare? I think so. And it's this third panel here uh, on whatever page we're on where Wolverine uh, 
I don't know. He jumps up a, a couple of sizes in weight here. He looks like an old <laughs> fat cowboy. Well, okay. I'll do you, give you that. Do you see the giant double chin and his body's gotten all wide and his big arm? And he's he's pulling a little Elvis there, a little fat Elvis. I'll give you that. He either looks like fat Elvis or do you know who Hoyt Axton is? No. He is a country and western singer uh, that you probably know best as the father from Gremlins. Hmm. And uh, if you look up old YouTube YouTube videos of him, he looks an awful lot like Wolverine does here in this panel. Big, fat old man with a cowboy hat. I'm trying to read in the lower right-hand panel. There's some uh, some scribbles on the wall. It looks like Bill Sinkowicz was here, but it looks like they spelled it wrong the first time and crossed it out. <laughs> it it's kind of funny. So they keep going on and on and on about this this uh this bet here uh and it's a joke pal yeah uh and so nightcrawler reminds uh wolverine that uh the professor saved him uh, rescued him in giant size x-men number one but then he thinks to himself and yet the mob thought mistakenly that i was a murderer there's no reason for anyone here in salem center to fear me other than my appearance did they think he was a murderer uh, they thought he was a demon. Yeah, so maybe. I, I don't. I don't remember. It's been so long. I mean, that was like months ago. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, he turns off the image inducer, and this big fat bartender drops off another beer, and he's like, uh, "You want another round, lads?" He doesn't even double take at Nightcrawler. It's like it's as if he already knew. And he says "Danka," which is "thank you." And then he says, "Let's see if I can find it here." He says this unglaublich and as a kid i read him saying that many many times and i never was able to pronounce it i think that as close i think as close as i got was unglaublich <laughs> but it is not unglaublich at all it is unglaublich so there you go for those and of it you it means incredible incredible see these why incredible. don't incredible i don't believe it harry didn't bat an eye why Why did we not... What did we do before the internet? We just didn't know. I can't wait until uh, Colossus drops his famous, uh, whatever it is, Bashi Mwai or whatever that is. Because I want to... I don't, A, I don't know what it means, and B, I don't know how to pronounce it. So if you do know what it means out there, fans, don't spoil it for us. We want to figure it out ourselves. <laughs> we We're want... very excited. We get. We get... We don't get excited about very many things and this is one of them so it's a little ruin it for us it's the little things really <laughs> all right so wolverine's like uh you don't need another one uh you've had enough it's time for us to go and so they head out and uh into the town the woman barmaid was like oh, harry did you see his face and his tail and the bartender's like i had a handsome one too or something like that this is a uh, beast old pal apparently <laughs> oh yeah gotcha took me a second anyways and then, and then the woman responds question mark <laughs> <laughs> big question mark too so i can't tell does nightcrawler have like a cane that he's walking with he's got a cane and a hat that apparently he turned his image inducer into a cane and a hat because <laughs> he did not have that cane and the hat when he started but uh well, he has it in the previous page. I just don't know where it came from. Oh, good point. And what I don't know is, like, okay, uh, d does he wear this costume everywhere he goes? Uh-huh. 
Like, does he not have like a pair of like jeans and a like a plaid shirt that he could wear to fit in with everybody? No. I mean, <laughs> I think if he was walking down the street with a tail and blue face, people would be like, "That's weird." But when you see a guy with like a big red leotard or unitard, you're like, <laughs> "What the hell is that?" But uh, so there, there's a lot of thinking about like, "Oh, the circus must be in town," or "Oh, it must be an actor," or "Wow, that's really good makeup," and blah blah blah. College fraternity initiation, something like that, I'm, which makes no sense. And uh, he he flirts with a girl and asks the Fraulein if uh, he could be of assistance picking up her bag. And he's very polite and romantic, and I think gives her a kiss on the cheek. Yeah, he gives her a kiss on the cheek, and she thinks as he walks away, she says, "What an extraordinary young man!" And then she thinks to himself, "Great smile, <laughs> be nice to meet him again." Which just goes to show you, it doesn't matter what you look like, fellas. You just got to have confidence. I don't know. I think that's a little bit far-fetched. I think well, your initial response, if a blue man with three <laughs> fingers, two toes walked up and was like, Ja, allow me to help you with your bag. You'd be like, get away from me. <laughs> Like, I know we want to be open-minded and whatnot. And I think once you got to know him, then you'd be like, oh, man, he's got a great smile, a great personality. And then you'd be like, I wonder what his junk looks like. Is it weird, too? <laughs> Is it parental? Because I don't know. Like, if it's normal, maybe I'm into that. But if it's weird, I don't think I want to have anything to do with that. Where's his tail on this page? It disappeared. It's, it did. It did. It's, it's down his pants. And uh... the woman's like, is that a tail in your pants? Or are you happy to see me? <laughs> You have to remember that this woman is in the Marvel Universe, so she's seen some wacky things. Okay, so this uh, this poster, this next panel, firmly establishes where we are in the timeline. There's a couple of kids standing outside of a brick wall in front of a Star Wars poster. So it's clearly 1977 or 1978 or 1979, any of the years up to and preceding Empire Strikes Back. Correct. Because Star Wars was in theaters forever it was and when did it debut was it like 77 it was in 77 yeah so which actually would have been a couple of years after this issue was published like the right but whatever that doesn't matter uh anyways so uh he's like hey uh you guys like this movie uh, uh my who's your favorite character mine's chewbacca but i have a friend who's shorter and just as hairy referring to wolverine and I always let him win, too. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, yeah. We just got a little Star Wars reference. And and, and he just slighted Wolverine. He was like, I always let him win. Oh, it's a in twofer. Other words, in other words, Wolverine ain't got nothing on Nightcrawler. So we move on. The kids are like, yeah, we just saw an alien. They're all excited. And uh, he's walking down the street. But then we run into some bad news. Oh, no, it's the stereotypical dudes. In their convertible. And they're like, man, they'll let anything walk down the streets. Yo, dweeb, you lose from the zoo or the looney he bin? Him, he also calls him a geek. I, I, you know, <laughs> it must not have had the same meaning today as it did back then, but I take offense to this guy. I immediately don't like him. Yeah, well, I that's a common problem that I'll probably mention throughout the run is that it feels to me like Marvel comic uh, writers don't necessarily know how to write youth slang. <laughs> and this is one of those examples. 
But anyways, uh, uh, Nightcrawler proceeds to talk to the guys, and one of the guys is like, radical accent. Maybe he's Arnold Schwarzenegger in disguise. Which totally destroys the timeline, but okay. <laughs> Did you do any research on this? Well, I know that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was not popular at this time. Arnold Schwarzenegger was popular for two things, and I use the term loosely. A, he was a Mr. Universe. And actually, yes. And he was actually featured prominently in 60s uh, Marvel Comics as an advertiser for, uh, like, uh, health food products or whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. He was. Uh, uh, and uh, as Mr. Universe, he was Mr. Universe, you know, hawking some bodybuilding products or whatever. But he was also in Hercules in New York. Right, yeah. And Which, which nobody saw. Yeah, at that point, nobody had seen it's obviously become a cult classic since then. But Except based... for these guys. These three guys, <laughs> they're like, they're huge fans of Hercules Takes New York. They're like, this Mr. Universe is going places, and you sound like him. But actually, in that movie, he was overdubbed. <laughs> and he didn't even sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie. So, really, people had seen Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1977, but nobody had heard him. Well, also, when was the slang radical like created that isn't that like a late 80s early 90s thing radical i don't know i think it's that seems like cool or whatever that just kind of comes and goes i have no idea but in in the in the late 70s i don't know it feels like a surfer term so who knows anyways yeah okay that's like really the only interesting thing that happens he they try to take his mask off but then they realize he's not a mask and then they're about to fight um Kurt says, mine hair. Mine hair. Which, which, um, which means... My lord. My lord, as we mentioned last episode, I suppose. And that's when Wolverine jumps in, and he's about to kill one of these guys. He's about to kill one of these guys who... Here, I'll give you some credit for recognizing bad art. This guy's head turns into... I don't know, it's like a thumb. <laughs> Yeah. It turns into a giant thumb with a little face drawn on the thumb, <laughs> like on the on the fingernail, and uh, the thumbnail. And uh, Wol or a Nightcrawler jumps onto Wolverine's back and uh, teleports him away. Actually, you know what? I'm going to back off on the art thing. While this thumb head and the Hoyt Axon picture earlier were pretty bad, there are traces of John Cassidy in some of these. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll that, give that, you that kind of that sparse line work with heavy on the color, uh, easy on the inking and the penciling, but John Cassidy's better. Sometimes John Cassidy is not all very consistent. There, through through the Astonishing X Men run, because it was done so slowly, yeah, it was very consistent. But he cannot do a monthly book. No, he's he's yeah. I, I think I've seen some of the back to backs, and you're like a couple of panels. You're like ooh. But you're like, it's still, I'm going to forgive it because the story's so good and all the other art's yeah. been so good. This panel doesn't matter. Nobody needs to see this. Have you read Planetary? I have not read Planetary. Oh, so good. Is it? Yeah. Well, to wrap this up, uh, they're teleported on top of the building, and uh, Nightcrawler thanks Wolverine for challenging him to this experiment. And honestly, I don't really know what the point of this whole thing was. Uh, we missed a we missed a German word. Uh, oh. Uh, Auf Wiedersehen, or how do you say that? Auf Wiedersehen. Yes, we missed that one, which is goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. But the one that 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 I didn't really know how to pronounce, 
Uh, where was it? It's this one. Fantastisch. Which is fantastic. Yeah, fantastisch. And there was also Guten Tag, mein Herr, which means good day, my lord. Yeah, those are pretty common. Uh, but uh, yeah, the fantastisch, the unglaublich, <laughs> and uh, what was the other one? Der Jarmarkt. Der Jarmarkt. Those are the ones that show up f- from time to time. And as a kid, you just kind of glance over them. So. Oh, and, and Wolverine also says snicket, which translates roughly to snicked. <laughs> And so there you go. We've we've come to the end of another wonderful, pointless, classic X-Men backup tale. Yay-ish. Establishing things that we don't need established yet or will be established through the normal comics continuity in some due time. But... Personally, I like learning how Wolverine becomes Wolverine in the actual continuity and not having all these backups make him into this character that he will become. Right. But that's just my personal preference. I, look, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, next issue, we're promised uh, some backstory on Colossus. So, hooray! Yay! <laughs> I bet it's about his drawing. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> oh, wait. If it's obvious, then that's what it must be about. <laughs> well, I think we've chewed your ears, and we've done enough talking this week. So, Adam, anything else you want to add to this? No, wrap it up. Until next week, the danger room is closed. Where are you going? The party's just begun. Night of the Demons. Rest assured, we've got something wonderful planned for you. Oh, we're going to... Isn't there a whole, like, demo, doesn't, don't the demons take over New York at some point? Well, that's, that's uh, Inferno. The issues that are heavy on the demons, I just don't like. Aliens, I'll take... Evil mutants I'll take, evil humans I'll take, robots I'll take, but demons? I just don't like demons. What about, like, because I was never a big fan of, like, the space people they battle. Oh, like the... um, Like the Guardians and whatnot. Yeah, the Star Jammers and the Shi'ar. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, those aren't my favorite either, to be honest. I know that they're very popular, you know, in in, uh, X-Men lore. Huh. 